This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, you able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. Score! Tamu Solani with the steal. Three of the fans won one. Score! Off the floor! Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Postgame Show. We get to talk about a win tonight. It's uh, Pat and Broke Pete Davidson on the mic tonight. Is that is that what I've heard your nickname is since I haven't been on a show this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've missed, uh, <laughs> you've missed that epic piece of information as well. <laughs> no, Steven's on the show. Hey man, how's it going? Not too bad, man. We got to see a win at least, which is nice. Yeah, you haven't been on the show where they've won yet, right? I mean, this has been a rough start for Anaheim. It's not like they played an easy team in Vegas the first two nights, but the Ducks come away with a one nothing win. Um, thanks to your boy scoring the only goal. I know you love Nick Delorier. Hey, man, sometimes you just need a guy who is just going to score one goal every 30 games for no reason. I think uh, that's the kind of uh, forward depth that really makes this duck machine go. I mean, he had a lot of ice time tonight, too. It, it, it wasn't like he only played a couple of shifts and got lucky there. Like He was actually on the ice quite a bit for a guy that's basically not your normal or yeah, your normal offensive guy you would think was going to be putting the puck. We all know what Nick's used for most of the time, but not tonight. Yeah, no, I think um, that line with the three of them has really, like, goal scoring aside, probably been Anaheim's most consistent forward line, which... I don't know is the most encouraging thing, but it's nice to know that, you know, we can see what they look like uh, when they're playing well. You know, they're, they're doing all that simple little stuff where they're getting the puck deep, they're banging bodies when they get below the line, and they're not really giving up on anything. You know, and Derek Grant and Nicholas Delorier and Carter Rowney have enough skill to make the NHL. And, you know, you get a little bit of luck or a play breaks down and they can put it away. So, you know, I don't think anybody's counting on that line being able to carry them to the playoffs. But, you know, every now and then you're going to need those kind of games to to win. So, you know, they get you the one goal you need. And then uh, Gibby stands on his head for 60 minutes and here you are. It, it, it almost didn't feel like the Ducks were that off kilter. You know, once they got past the beginning of the first period, it seemed like they were able to, to play evenly. But, I mean, the shot metrics and all that stuff on the backside of things that uh, you don't always see on the scorecard, on the normal scorecard on TV, uh, the Ducks didn't really play up to what it, I guess, what it appeared to be. Like, their chances just didn't seem dangerous, especially in the first period. Um, did you Do you think that uh, it was all Gibby, or do you think the Ducks kind of picked their feet up under them later in the game? So one of the the notes that I kind of made watching this game is, to me, this is one of those games that highlights the difference in talent between Minnesota and Vegas. I don't know that Minnesota, or sorry, let me say this way. I don't know that the Ducks played noticeably better than they did in the Vegas series, but Minnesota isn't as good, especially in the forwards. And so... Um, you know, they're not going to be able to push the pace as much and really hem the Ducks in, which means the Ducks get, you know, maybe over the course of a game, an extra 10 or 12 shifts in the offensive zone. And sometimes that's all you need and you get one break. 
you know, I, I really don't think, other than the exception of maybe Milano, the team didn't look noticeably better. It's just Minnesota isn't as good, and so some of the opportunities that they had, um, they were able to sustain for a little bit longer, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think our original assessment going into the season uh, was that the, you know pretty much what everyone else is saying, too, that you know, the final playoff spot is pretty much up for grabs, and, and that's kind of how the broadcast kind of pitched it, too, although I would lean on Minnesota being more competitive than the other teams, uh, for sure, but... Um, I think what you mentioned there with Sonny Milano coming in, that's a good thing to talk about here. We get into the starting lineup for tonight's game. Isaac Lundestrom, the guy who appeared to be kind of sort of out of sorts the entire game, last game, and then even in the first game against Vegas, I, I didn't really think he was, I don't know, uh, NHL caliber, honestly. He, he kind of didn't know what he I, – I don't know how he made it into camp over other guys, honestly, are coming out of camp. Uh, no disrespect to him, really. I know it kind of sounds harsh, but just seeing the way he played those first two games, it, there was no question he was going to get yanked out tonight for Milano, who I thought looked really good and and dangerous at times, especially, you know, he had a breakaway earlier in the game, too. Um, but he, he had multiple chances and rushes up the ice, whereas uh, Lundersman kind of just, like I said, just got, got you know folded down, and you didn't really see him much. Yeah, you know, I think... It's really interesting to see two games against an opponent and then the third game is a new opponent. You know what I mean? I think it kind of helps you look at things. And, like, I, I really thought that Lundstrom was going to get pulled out of the lineup after the first game. And then putting him in the second game was a bit of a head-scratcher to me because he didn't look good in the first game. And he didn't look good in the second game. He looks, to me, like the game is still a little too fast for him. And, you know, I think what it says to me is that just from a technical standpoint, I do think they think Lundestrom is a more sound player over 200 feet than Milano is. And against a team that is as good and as attacking-minded as Vegas was, they thought maybe that having someone who can play 200 feet would be more useful on that line instead of gearing up for the offense. I don't know that I agree, but I can certainly see how you talk yourself into it. And I think tonight it was clear what Milano, even if he's not as good in his own end, you know, he brings a lot on the other end. You know, he's fast, he's tenacious, he's, you know, um, creative. And I think he has definitely earned himself a significant stint playing next to Getzloff. So um, you would know, you say kind of like when yeah. you're talking about a middle six or, or middle six or bottom six forward when you have a more cerebral guy, not someone who's more of like the you know the offensive push, the faster skater, it's better to go with a guy who's quicker, can get a stick on the ice, uh, and get to pucks. Is is kind of what you were leaning towards there? Yeah, I think you know I think part of it is that Milano is faster, but I also think he's just he's clearly better suited right now for the speed of an NHL game. Yep. And I think just based on that, you know, it doesn't look like the water's up to here all the time when he's playing. And I think that's huge. You know, I, I do think, you know, down the line, I do think Lundestrom can be a third line, sometimes second line type player who you just put in, put in you know, he does all the right things. And maybe, ironically, someone like a, uh, a Milana who is a little less sound defensively, you play both of those guys together. And that gives you a little bit of a balance on your wings and then the center you put between them, whatever. I just don't think Lundstrom is there yet. Um, and I think the thing about Milano is, you know, he can play on any three lines, really, depending on, you know, how you use your third line. But the Ducks don't have a reason not to try to just get as much offense in their roster right now as they can. I think he looked really good. He looked, uh, you know, I, I remember him being a smaller guy, but he's apparently like six foot one, I guess. And he didn't look like he was getting pushed around at all tonight, which was nice to see. No, I, th I think you're right. He definitely complimented Getzloff. They played great together tonight. Um, let's get to some of our pregame notes before we go through the rundown of, of the game. Milano, like we just mentioned, in for Lundestrom. Ben Hutton finally able to join the team after quarantine for COVID. The San Diego Gulls preseason games have been canceled now, two of them. So what we were hoping would be a quick stint for the young kids, maybe to get some preseason games under them and then be able to see uh, Zegers up here looks like we have to wait a little longer for that. And then uh, Max Jones sent to San Diego as well. 
hopefully those games you're able to get underway at some point. That's it's kind of a bummer for those guys trying to get their season started. Um, let's just jump into the first period here. This <laughs> the Ducks it just felt like they couldn't stay out of the box this game, and a lot of people were kind of ripping on the referees. But uh, you know, I don't I don't really think they came out with much jump in the first period as uh, Minnesota did. Minnesota was all over them to start the period. Yeah, no, I don't. You know, I think this is three games now, and I think it's fair to say that at the very least, Anaheim doesn't seem to find their legs until 20 minutes into the game. Um, I don't know if that is, you know, a result of 10 minutes off and just kind of having to re-get your body up for it. I don't know if they're trying to play a certain style that is just kind of leading to them kind of getting their heads caved in for the first 15 minutes. I, I'm not sure. But it is definitely something that they need to be worried about because as we saw in the first game against Vegas, you know, that, that's 2-0 real quick. And you, you know, you can't count on scoring two goals in the same period as they do and being able to go into that first intermission tied, you know, against a team like the Blues or against a team like Vegas or, um, Colorado, that can be a three goal period, you know, mm-hmm. and most nights that's the end of it. Like it doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to score most nights four goals in 40 minutes, especially when the team is, you know, camping it down and really playing a more defensive thing because they got a three-goal cushion. You know, so I think Anaheim needs to be concerned at the very least with the fact that they don't seem to play the games until about 15, 20 minutes in. I mean, how how uh, many times did we see tonight odd man rushes? I mean, yes, eventually the Ducks had their own. But I feel like Minnesota had a lot of chances early on, too. Nick Bukestad all over the ice tonight as well. I forgot how big of a guy that guy is, too. And he looked dangerous all game. Yeah, he's he's had a bit of a rough one uh, the last couple of years, you know, because he was from he was in Florida. And then he got moved to the uh, Penguins and then the Penguins, I think, either bought him out or moved him up to Minnesota. And, you know he might be able to kind of get back to just being a good middle six center. To me, he's, uh, he's very much a Henrik type. You know what I mean? Like when he's on, you know, maybe he can play at a second line level, but I think in reality, he's a high end third line guy who isn't going to give up too much and is going to get you maybe a couple of chances you weren't going to get most nights. So, you know, I think for them, it's great because, you know, they lost Eric Stahl and they lost Nico Corley. Like, they have a lot of question marks at the center, and they're a young team. I know their pipeline's pretty good, but, but you know, like you I said. I kind of forget that Nico Corley was even in the league anymore. I don't hear his, I don't hear his name a lot. Columbus. <laughs> I loved when he was on the wild because he was, you know, he was a big dude, man. He just, he played a big physical game. He was incredibly skilled, like. I, you know, I really like Nico Koibu. Um, but yeah, I just think, you know, like you said, they're probably the odds on favorite for that fourth spot. I think obviously the three California teams are very clearly at the bottom and I'm not particularly impressed with Arizona. So, you know, I think it's really their spot to lose. So, I mean, I picked the Ducks to take fourth. So hopefully I'm right. I'm always the one in the history of podcasts that I've ever been. I'm always the one who's like, eh, I don't really think we're going to have a good year. And then I get, you know, get harped on by my listeners or Eddie or Jason be me being too harsh. But this time I picked the Ducks to try to squeeze in there. So hopefully they get that chance. Uh, just a couple of, of uh, good notes here for the Ducks. Um, it was just, I don't understand how he didn't see him. Did you see the play where, where, where Troy Terry came down the wing and it was a 2 on 0 and yeah. instead of passing the puck over to steal, kind of just threw it right into Talbot, uh, tried to go short side. He must have just got so excited there and tried to, you know, figure out a way to get it by him. He didn't even look to his left, or maybe Steele didn't yell for it. But that building's so quiet, I figured you would have heard it. But uh, just a golden opportunity missed by Anaheim to go up one nothing there in the first period. Yeah, you know, um, for me, and I don't know if you watch soccer, but for me, that felt like one of those moments in soccer where you get two okay. young. It's exactly like what it was where they beat, you know, the other team and they've got this chance and they're both young. And so they're both focused on not making the like most unforgivable mistake, which is just not getting a shot off or not getting it on net. And so I think what he was focused on was head down, get the shot off, you know, maybe 
maybe there's a rebound, maybe there's something. I really think he probably had tunnel vision, and even if Sam Steele would have yelled into a bullhorn, I don't know that he would have heard him. You know, I think it's a positive sign as far as him thinking of attacking, but I think it's one of those things in a year, hopefully 20, 30 games, where he has a little bit more poise and a little bit more self-confidence to pick his head up, make that play, and then the Ducks are up. You know what I mean? Because that's those are the kind of moments that the Ducks are going to need to capitalize on if they're going to hope to be competitive on a nightly basis. I mean, even if he would have just walked that into the crease, even, you know, not being on his strong side, right? He's coming in uh, where the angle's not in his favor. Maybe, maybe a pass would have been better or walking him more towards the slot. I mean, that's all stuff that happens in milliseconds in hockey for sure. It wasn't like he had, a, you know, he was able to sit there and, and think about it. But like you said, hopefully with confidence um, and time, he's able to turn that around because I, I think that what you said, you just got tunnel vision. It's like, oh, shit, I have a chance to score. I'm going to, I'm going to try to bury it right now. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, I don't really mind that considering Terry's young and, you know, we're still hoping that he's going to keep developing and coming along. If Silverberg does that, Raquel does that, I think you, you're maybe a little bit more concerned about them, you know, clutching their sticks a little bit and trying to force it. But Steele and Terry, you know, I don't think they've played 100 games. They might not play 150 games combined. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. that they kept it simple. You know, maybe if he's just going to get a shot off, you want him to get it uh, a little lower. So that way, if he doesn't hit, you know, it's a lot harder to control the rebounds. Or it's a lot harder to get it to stick to the body off the leg pads than it is, right. when he, as we saw with Fowler later in the game. You know, if it hits him in the gut, that's it. You know, nine times out of ten, that's just going to stick to him. And the play's over. That was a brutal. That's a, That was a brutal uh, yeah. scene that took place in the second period. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, your boy Mancy goes down with an injury. Didn't really understand how he got hurt. He mixes it up with Greenway, who is just a giant at the end of the first period. They kind of tussle, go to the ice, and then you see Manson throw one punch when they're on the ice. Seemed like he was going to the to the dressing room just because of the amount of time left in the game. Even the broadcast made note of that, but then we would soon find out that it wasn't the case. He's actually injured. Yeah, I you know, it's hard to know, like you said, because it there wasn't a lot that happened visibly. So, you know, he might have tweaked something in his knees or tweaked something in his shoulders just kind of with the wrestling and the falling around. But, you know, until the club tells us in six months when the season is over, <laughs> they're not this. They don't like telling anybody anything. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, even opening night rosters, they waited forever, right? Like, we were supposed to find these out at a certain point, and they're like, yeah, we'll tell you eventually. They don't want yeah. anyone to know anything. You told the league, you're fine. So, Which is wild, because now that, you know, the league endorses gambling now. They don't want to tell anybody their rosters or injuries. Well, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But I think, you know, Hopefully, for Manson and the Ducks, I think you definitely want it. Uh, you know, you want it to be a minor injury. As much as there seems to be a little pessimism about how valuable Manson is in the chat right now, I do think. Uh, I do think you know you don't. The Ducks don't really have the defensive depth to lose a guy like Manson, who at the very least can eat twenty twenty two minutes a night. So. And he he brings that nastiness that uh, that you like, I like, a lot of Ducks fans do like as well. Yeah. Uh, it's more of like that old throwback style that he has. He, but it's not even his. It's not even a throwback style that he has. It's like a, just a part of him, right? Because he he could still play a fast paced game. He's not some you know plug you put on on the ice in the third pair. I'm not saying that, but the hit he doesn't. You know the Ducks don't really have a guy like that on the team other than Nick Delorier. Yeah. No, I think you know I think. Uh... He definitely does bring that level of physicality to the team. It was, you know, that was, it was kind of nice to see him really get into it with Greenway, even if it kind of went south quick, just to see him have that kind of engagement. Cause for me, when he's at his best is very much how I feel about when the Ducks are at their best in general. You know, they're physically engaged. They're getting into it after the whistle. You know, they're doing all those little things that, you know, everybody hates us for, but. Of course. You know, for them, that's, you know, they kind of eat out on that stuff. And so I think, uh, you know, it was nice to see that little bit of aggression. And, you know, you just hope it's not a, real, a long-term thing. You know, maybe they they stumble into a pairing that gets more out of Fowler because I think as we both, Fowler and Manson together doesn't work. 
Again, I've, I think I said it last game. I don't know why it doesn't work. It should be a perfect pairing. It just doesn't work. This team has committed to Cam Fowler. He's not moving. He has been embedded yeah. into this franchise now with that contract. No yeah. matter how bad he is, no matter what pairing you put him with, if he's not good, he's still going to play. <laughs> it doesn't matter. In years, last year with Eric Goodbranson, like, and the Ducks had one of their worst years defensively. He might have been the best defender last season. Fowler? Yes. Yeah, he was the best defenseman on the team last year. I don't think it's hard. It's it. I don't really think that's up for debate. But given how bad the Ducks were last year, that isn't an encouraging thing to me. No, that's a great point. So let's get to his play here. We'll get to that in this, the second period. Manson doesn't start, possibly injured upper body somewhere, like you said, shoulder, neck, bat, whatever. He's He didn't come back after his fight with Greenway. Silverberg and Shattenkirk, I almost thought it was Fowler, collided in the neutral zone, uh, which created a partial breakaway. But Fiala gets it broken up by back-checking Lindholm. Lindholm had a hell of a game tonight. Uh, everyone knows I'm partial to him. But uh, holy smokes, man, the kid played over, I want to say, almost 20 minutes, five on five, and I think 25 minutes overall. He crushed it tonight. Just absolutely crushed it. Um, Larson finds some offensive, uh, you know, plays going on here. Fe- feeds up to Milano, Milano with a breakaway, but they get denied. This was like a run and gun period for both squads. It felt like, yeah, it was pretty open. And, you know, I think what's kind of funny is, you know, you look at a team like Minnesota and they have some young players and Jordan Greenway, and Carol Kaprizov, uh, even some of their older players play that more skill-based game like, uh, Parise. And the Ducks just have a bunch of missing pieces. Like, they just have a bunch of kind of miscellaneous pieces that they're just kind of find some chemistry on. And, you know, I think this period shows that you can play an up and down game and it not necessarily generate a ton of high quality chances, uh, just because some of the players are going to be a little young or, you know, um, defensemen are going to make good plays at the right time or things like that. But, it definitely felt like it was moving pretty fast, even if I didn't think there were, you know, 10 grade A chances in the period. It just felt like it did because of the pace. You're right. I, I feel like the Ducks had a handful throughout the entire game that looked ultra dangerous. Um, obviously, I want to get to one of those here right now, which is Cam Fowler all alone in the slot. I mean, all day it felt like he had to shoot the puck, and I think he just shot it directly in the chest of Cam Fowler. I don't know. Where, maybe he's trying to go between the arm and the body. Um, I just want Fowler to break through and produce right there. Then I can be like, oh, I can get everyone get off his back. He may be a little sloppy on the blue line, but hey, look, he can bury it when he's in the offensive zone. And oh my God, where's the guy we saw last year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think the when they showed the replay, I was kind of watching, and uh, Hazy made a comment about he thinks he was trying to go five hole and just got under it, which kind of makes a bit of sense. And then, you know, I think the other thing is, is when you see the angle from kind of over Fowler's shoulder, there is maybe an opportunity to, uh, you know, make a cross ice pass and have somebody slam it in. But he didn't really commit to anything. And he just kind of ends up taking this weak kind of half slap shot. You know, I think for me, if he, you know, if he tries to just take a simple wrist shot and pick out a corner, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, it's a sign of more poise and of more purpose. You know, I think that's kind of the thing that separates him from elite offensive defensemen is that poise and that ability to actually pick a corner, you know, because even if he keeps that on the ice and it hits a leg pad kind of earlier, like I said, with the Troy Terry shot, it's fine. You know what I mean? Because maybe you get a good rebound, but if you're going to just shoot it into their chest pads, you're not going to get anything out of it. Those guys are so big and those pads are so thick that they're just going to stick to them. I, I mean, I almost want to say the only thing I can give him a break on there is he wasn't moving quickly when he received the pass. If you're moving quickly towards the net like that, you have a lot more surprise of the goaltender. But if you're caught almost at a standstill and you catch the puck, that unless you're just a, a premier sniper, that's a hard place to pick. Right. I mean, because sure. I mean, he's going to come right out and be gigantic in front of you and you're already and you're flat footed. You can't come in with a deke. It, it's a tough play for Cam. It's almost like he had to release that on the second he got it in order for that to be effective. Yeah. 
I mean, I think what you see is the D-Lo, the D-Lo goal, right? Like that stick wasn't on, uh, the puck wasn't on a stick for a half a second. No. He, he ripped it and that was that. Um, you know, I definitely think that, you know, you're absolutely right that there is something to be said of he wasn't moving. He wasn't coming in with speed. Uh, and because he held it, uh, Talbot was able to get over. You know, well, let's let's spend the rest of the podcast breaking down Cam Fowler's career. I mean, you and I joked about it in, in, uh, in you know, the pre-podcast show where we were talking about what we we're going to talk about tonight. We're like, let's just break down every year, go year by year, minute by minute, partner by partner, and figure out uh, just how good Cam Fowler is. Exactly. I'm, sure chat would, I'm sure the chat would love that. Yeah. <laughs> let's get to the third period where all the fun happened for the Ducks. Um, again, Shattenkirk and Lindholm, 19 minutes plus beginning of the third period they'd already played. These guys were just animals tonight, and they both, according to the broadcast, say they love that those kinds of minutes. Lenholm says he plays better when he plays more. That's just the guy who's hungry, right? He just always wants to be on the ice. You want to hear that from your guys. Um, the Ducks finally get their chance. Raquel with another, with actually a big chance first, though, but wasn't able to squeeze it through Talbot. I got to say, for a guy who hasn't scored, Ricard Raquel hasn't been bad looking this season so far. What did you say? He hasn't been able to bury the puck, but he hasn't been terrible looking on the ice. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't think he's looked bad. I think, you know, again, what you're seeing is he's not necessarily going to be generating a ton of offense on his own, right? He is a player that you put with players who generate offense and he can make good passes, he can make skilled passes, he can make good shots, he can finish, and he's a really good complementary piece. I think that's why he worked so well at on the line with uh the twins at the end of Perry Perry's tenure with the Ducks is because he just yep. he just is kind of able to find empty spaces in those shots. Um, you know, I think that he looked best to me when he was with on the line with Getzloff and Milano. I thought the three of them looked really good together. Um Well that that happened tonight. They played well tonight, that line. We we could definitely get to that for sure. <laughs> But, I mean, I, my, my comment on him was just because we all are expecting, at least a majority of us are expecting a bigger year out of Ricard Raquel this season. I just, I felt like uh, maybe he wasn't getting any love, especially from us. <laughs> sure. So, I know, I think he had, a, he had a good game. He just hasn't been able to bury it. But Nick Delorier, everyone calls him D'Lo now. Is that his nickname or is that what the Ducks gave him? I don't know what happened with that. But uh, Shattenkirk was just a beautiful cross-size pass. I mean, that was all the way across. And Delorier there, wide open, was able to tap that in um, behind tab- almost a tablet. I've said that so many times, but it's Cam Talbot <laughs> to make it one nothing Anaheim. On just, to, I mean that that was all that was all Shattenkirk's vision there. But uh, Nick right there with a the stick on the ice to tap it in. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, it's again. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it really is one of those things. Skate at the net, keep your stick on the ground, and good things are going to happen. The thing about having a guy like Shattenkirk now is. Still like Jim Fox, thanks. Um, but it's true, man. Like at a certain point, like that stuff is what matters. And Shattenkirk has a high enough skill level that he can make the plays that make those kind of things successful. He makes a great pass and deal finishes it. You know, if that's Manson or Fowler, or, you know, maybe now we have to include Larson in being able to make that pass. Uh, You know, it's, you know, I think it's fair to say that uh, those, that play doesn't go that way. You know, it hits a stick or gets too close to the goalie or something like that. It just, it doesn't feel like the play unravels that way. No, but, uh, you know, the Ducks are able to hold on here and with that one nothing victory. The only other thing I want to say about this is you got something to add to the game is Cam Fowler was robbed, legit robbed at the end of this game. I think the puck broke his stick on the deflection, but Cam Talbot got his stick after on the rush and was able to knob it away from Fowler making it 2 nothing. But uh, oh, Fowler, yeah. again, doing everything he can, can't score still. Just totally snake bit tonight. But the Ducks take the victory one nothing, uh, Get the first victory of the season. And uh, moving on to second game against Minnesota here on Wednesday. (laughs) You know, I think for me, the big takeaway from this game is it really feels like Giddy's back. 
You know, I think we were all pretty upset or disappointed, let down, or however you want to say it, with the way that he played last year because we all kind of know intuitively that the Ducks are going to go as far as he is going to take them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think for me, you're watching that and you're like, yeah, we absolutely have to start trying to find new ways to generate offense because he looks like he can do, you know, 50 games of just being incredible. Um, he was definitely the icing on the cake in this game. I yeah. mean, he was solid. He made a lot of difficult saves look easy. That's the kind of night to give you had tonight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and he made some really difficult saves look difficult because he's good. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I think, and then, you know, it's nice that the goal comes from a Shattenkirk play because now what you're seeing is the Ducks plan, right? It's Gibby comes back to form. We have that top five goaltender that we, we know that he can be. And then we brought in this guy to add a little pop from the back end. And, you know, that you kind of see the whole plan come together. You right. know, like games like this, especially against Minnesota, who is going to be with them competing for that fourth spot, should Anaheim, you know, be able to sustain some level of play. These are the types of games that they have to win, and they're probably going to have to win them this way, where Gibby makes 10 to 15 great saves in one night, and they are going to have to find ways to score a goal and a half, two goals a game. If they can't get up to that level, it just doesn't matter. You know, one a one oh game, especially with how open the game is these days, isn't sustainable. They've gotta be able to get two or three goals every couple of games. And you know, I think for me that's why you bring in someone like Kevin Chattenkirk, because if he can help improve the power play, and there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that yet, but you know, if the power play can get better, then that Well they gotta get power plays to start. This is like the least like the t- this team gets the least amount of power plays in the league. Like the Ducks just don't get power plays. Yeah, but you know, I I do think some of that isn't you know some of that I think is reputation based with the reps, which is earned. And I do think some of it is sometimes the Ducks have a bad habit of playing on the ends of their sticks and not moving their feet. And you know, if you're not moving your feet, you're not going to be generating those kinds of penalties. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. For the one standing guard. For the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, well, I mean, let, let me ask you this question about the team, then. I, I think this... It's brought up in our fan questions about it. It's like, is it a mix of talent or a defensive scheme is the reason why the Ducks aren't able to bury pucks? Um, I'm going, I'm just kind of winging that. I'm trying to remember what the question was exactly, but I think it was along those lines. I'm going to let you answer first though. Like, how do you feel about that? Is, do you think it's more of like a skill based issue or is it a coaching issue or a little of both? I would lead predominantly a skill issue. Um, That's what I would say. I think you can absolutely make the argument that maybe the, you know, the scheme and the system that they play doesn't maximize the opportunities or abilities of the players to the fullest. And I'm, I'm certainly open to that, right? You know, one of the signs of great coaching is getting your team to perform above the, above their heads consistently. Um, but I think when you look at it, you're just kind of like, yeah, it's a, you know, we kind of, you know, I think the joke's been made online a couple of times. It feels like the Ducks have three third lines. And that's not great. You know what I mean? I mean, we all think very highly of Getzloff. He's 35. Like, he can't yep. do this forever, you know? Raquel's about to be 30, I think. He's 28. Yep. You know, um, and it's like, he doesn't seem to really be a pure 30 goal guy. You know? Silverberg has always just had this weird habit of scoring between 15 and 20 goals every year, and that's it. 
until the playoffs start, in which case he turns into like a second line quality player, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, you know, one of the things that's been promising from the first two games, um, is the fact that the younger players have looked good. I think tonight the biggest takeaway you have to have is Milano looked good. If, you know, the younger players like Steele and Terry and, uh, Milano and maybe even Heinen, who has a lot more offensive pop to his game than I thought he did, if they can kind of develop into real NHL players, I think you can start to get yourself to a point where you're like, okay, there's enough decent talent that now the system should be in question. But I don't think we can say that yet, given the way the players have kind of progressed. No, it's it's tough. We've had this discussion before, Eddie and I have, um, about our prospects. We love them. We want them to do to perform to the level we think they're going to be at. But there is a really strong possibility that these are middle six forwards. These are like their ceiling is a middle six player. There's no yeah. guarantee these guys are going to be the next top left wing in the Western Conference or the NHL or on, you know, on this team. You know, to battle year in and year out with other players that are coming. We always talk about a log jam here. But is it a log jam of really good players or is it a log jam of middle sixers looking for ice time? That's that's I'm not trying to discredit any sort of skill, but there is just that possibility that we're already seeing what they could become. Yes, they're young, but if we don't start seeing that offensive spark out of these kids in the next couple of years, we're going to start questioning um, you know, if we're going to keep these guys on or not, if I'm Bob Murray or whoever the next GM is going to be, because you can't just sit here with a middling team like this. You either have to be good or you have to be really bad to get somewhere in this league. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, I, I think you said it really perfectly that is it like a log jam of NHL quality high end players or is it a log jam of guys who were probably NHL players? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what it is. You know, I think when you look at the team, you know, this is why me and Eddie got bashed the other night for being Debbie Downers, but you look at the pipeline and it's hard to see the home run swings. You know, you've got Zegers, but he, you know, he fell to nine. They weren't supposed to get him there. Uh, you know, you've got Dreesdale who should be able to help them create some offense from the back end. Beyond those two, you know, Crow's a goal scorer maybe, but if he's just a goal scorer, it's hard. You know, I think the line between Raquel and Tarasenko is a lot thinner than we'd like to admit, just because scoring 25 to 30 goals in a season is really hard, and the number of guys who can go from 30 to 40 is so small. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just think that the problem for the Ducks right now is you want to keep the guys you have because they absolutely look like they can be important contributing players to a competitive team. But nobody on this team right now has the kind of real offensive pop to be able to go, that's the guy, right? You know, you look at a guy like Elias Pedersen, his first year, Look, not everybody's going to be Elias Pettersson, but I think the point I'm trying to make is you can see very quickly, you know, which guys really have that offensive firepower. You know, there aren't a lot of guys who take three or four years to develop and then turn into an all-star. It's okay if you have a, a, a couple of guys on this Ducks team, let's, let's just say throw two names in there, Steele and Comtois, uh, that end up being 20-goal guys. That's fine. It's totally great. You need it. That's amazing. You got to have it. But that's not a top end winger. That's not a top end center in this league. It's just that's just not the way it goes. Uh, and you got to see that kind of develop also on the power play. Are your young guys producing when there's a man down? No, we're not. And that's just yeah. been the toys of the way the Ducks have been the past couple of seasons. Um, and like I like you mentioned too, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer either. It's just we got to see the kids pick it up. I don't want to say it's a lack of skill. I think we just really need to see a breakthrough this season. And there is an opportunity here uh, for one of those guys to do that. Um, but I want to ask you about your Keith Yandel article, <laughs> and I saw you get in a discussion with some people online about this earlier today, but speaking of offense, Keith Yandel's a bit older, has a heftier contract than any of the kids we're talking about here that we hope break through this year, but, uh, you're kind of an advocate for trading away assets to get this guy. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's really interesting. You know, one of the things that I thought was very interesting about the Yandel situation is that the front office seems to be pretty ready to move on from him. And he's got a sizable cap hit. 
which usually means he's not going to be the most expensive player mm-hmm. to acquire, right? In just assets. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, the two trades that I really kind of threw out was a Yandel Rico swap straight up. You know, maybe you throw in a pick, uh, because Rico's got a little bit more term, but Rico is younger. So you could argue that maybe, you know, he's more valuable in that sense. And the other one was like a second or third round pick in the Kessler contract. And you bring Yandel back. You know, my thing is, is it's trying to look at what the management is saying and trying to, at least on the face of it, take that seriously. Bob Murray has said it countless times. He wants to compete. And he is tired of this quote unquote rebuild. Um, you know, he wants to get back into the playoffs. I think the West division is weak enough that Anaheim technically could get in there. You know, like we were talking about, you picked them for fourth. I think they're one of the three teams that is really going to be competing for that spot. Although I did have them at seventh, just because I'm a pessimist. <laughs> so I think it's very easy to look at Gibby's elite and then they get better on the power play. Because if you can capitalize on power play opportunities, that takes a lot of pressure off of your five on five offense. You know, and if you get two or three power play goals in a game every now and then, that's probably going to win you the game, especially when your goalie isn't going to give up more than one or so, two goals. But are you playing this as a, as a, uh, a thing if you're Bob Murray because of what he mentioned about wanting to be competitive now? Maybe this isn't yeah. the best idea for what us fans would want to do. But if Bobby wants to be competitive now, he's going to have to step up and make a decision on a contract to bring in a guy who actually produces from the blue line. Some might say you're not giving Kevin Shattenkirk time to score yet, right? So, like, I I think that that's that's certainly fair uh, to say that I'm short-selling Shattenkirk a little bit, but I also don't know why you wouldn't want to have two guys who are both good at offense. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of my thing. Is it's like, I'm really not sure that it's a bad thing to have two guys who can both run a power play at a high level. But maybe just the age of both those guys and being, being that Yandel's contract is over five mil for three more years. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, there's questions about the expansion draft. Uh, you know, there's questions about the place in the lineup that maybe he's taking from a younger player. I, I think there are legitimate questions to ask about it. But I do think if you are a serious, sorry, if Bob Murray is actually serious about trying to be legitimately competitive, they've got to improve the power play. Because I don't think anybody thinks they're going to be a five-on-five juggernaut this year. Mm -hmm. So they've got to get goals when they have the opportunities. And so for me, bringing in a player like Yandel, and you know, if you split him and Shattenkirk up, you've got two competent power play quarterbacks. What has that ever been a bad thing? You and they need I mean? to make Fowler a third pairing. Is that what you're excited about? Is this your motive here? It's you're gonna see, bump. You're gonna bump Fowler to the third pair. I think it's what you're trying is to turn Fowler into a third line winger. Um, <laughs> he's gonna wow. take Troy Terry's spot. Is that what you're saying? He's gonna exactly. <laughs> it's gonna be uh, Steel Terry and Comtois. Uh, <laughs> no, it'll be it'll be Steel uh, Fowler and Comtois. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I just. I, I just think, you know, he's got that Iron Man streak, and I understand that, like, that doesn't necessarily translate to goals, but availability is important, man. Like, if you have a guy that you can almost pencil in for, you know, 80 games a year or 70 games a year even, that's huge. You know, so he, your, your idea is to take a piece away from the forward group, add a piece to the defense group, and this also kind of frees up another roster spot of the forward group for one of these kids to move up. And get more minutes? Is that kind of the idea here as well? You know, yeah. I don't necessarily know you even make you need to necessarily take from the forward group because they might not want to take Rico. You know, they might prefer a guy like Kessler who's not going to take up a roster spot, who has that insured contract. You know, even though the the payout for that salary or for his contract is a little over it's like fifteen seven five for the next two years, it only costs two seven five because eighty percent of that contract is covered by insurance. Florida is a very cost conscious team. They are trying to keep their their actual payroll around I think 65. Ha- taking off a guy off their books 
who's going to make over five million for the next three years and giving them a guy who's going to make two million, uh, you know, or not even a full three million over two years, like that has actual value. You True. know, he comes off the same summer as Barkov is going to need an ex- extension, which is huge. The summer after that, Huberto needs an extension. I think there is a legitimate argument to be made that. Amazing that, it seemed that Cap Conscious gave Bobrovsky 10 mil a year, right? Right. Well, that's the thing, which is <laughs> what makes the Rico part of it attractive because they've got Bobrovsky and they've got Quenville and their pay is $15 million a year. Two guys, you know, and one of them doesn't even count against the cap. They've got Huberto and Barkov right now who they need to keep. They just traded away Trocek last year at the deadline. You know, they've got Alex Lindbergh, who's a nice player from everything I've seen, you know, I've heard and seen, but he's not a fully fledged two long, second line center. And he's 26. Like, I don't know how much room you're really going to be looking at for improvement. So if you can go in another center to help give you just again, raise the floor of your middle six, I think that can be really valuable. And so, so that's kind of my thing is I think there is an opportunity here for two teams to both kind of help themselves. So, well, we'll see what happens. That's that's a that's a real outside the box thought on it. Though. That's why I wanted to bring it up. I don't think they're gonna do it, but I do <laughs> think it's an interesting way. You know, I, this is one of the things that I you know I try to do in some of the stuff that I write about or conversations we have on here is how can we look at ways to solve the problems that we have that isn't we just put everything in a box and trade for Jack Eichel, right? Yeah. What are those on the margin type moves that you can make? That maybe, and become the West Coast Buffaloes. We trade everyone away for one player. Exactly. <laughs> no, I hear you, man. Um, I want to get to something. I want, we don't have to read through all of this. I just thought this was kind of cool. I mean, I know a lot of people do the, you know, your bold predictions for the season. I know we're two games in, three games in now. But uh, Eric Stevens at The Athletic had his predictions um, for the Ducks season. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on each one of these. We'll have to spend minutes talking about them. but. Uh, Ryan Getzloff is going to sign a contract extension. Everyone thinks that everyone thinks that that's like a foregone conclusion. He's going to finish out his his career here. He's got the house in Kodo. Um, do you really think he's going to do that at some point anytime soon? I don't think he's going to just because of where uh, the expansion draft is. Right, that's like the big thing here. I if Ryan Getzloff walks into Bob Murray's office and he says. I either want an extension or I want a trade. I think he has absolutely earned the right to make that demand for everything he's done for the organization. But unless that's what it is, I don't think that he he needs to be signed to an extension. I think we need to have a conversation with him and say, look, even if we don't sign you to an extension right now, we'll give you an extra million, right? Maybe it goes from four to five million and we give you an extra year, like two years, um, as a thank you for being willing to hold off because we know crazy things can kind of happen. But if he's an unsigned free agent, you know, um, even if he's taken an expansion draft, he can still walk. Right. There's no reason for them to risk having him taken if he's not protected or having to protect him and losing someone else. It's it, For me, it was the money idea, what you're saying, is just to leave him unprotected. They have to. just. Use this spot for somebody else. They're, Seattle's not going to take him. If they do, he can walk anyway. Not a big deal. That's that is my thing. I don't think that that is as likely to happen as other people think. But Eric Stevens is a smart guy. He's smarter than me. So you know. Well, he mentioned that in here too. He, he does mention that you know, barring a relationship between player and club that deteriorates, or the center wanted to join a Stanley Cup contender. So he's probably going to end. His, he's probably going to end his career for sure. But they're probably going to hold off on a new deal till the expansion draft. So yeah, I think that makes the most sense for both sides. So the defense will be better than you think. Mm. Uh, I had a really hard time with this one because I love Hampus Lindholm and Kevin Shattenkirk. I'm not a huge fan of Fowler and Manson and Yanni Hockenpah and uh, and uh, Jacob Larson. I'm like, eh. and now we're looking at Ben Hutton instead of Manson. So now it's even more scary. It's <laughs> It's, it's early, but still. It's an interesting way to say it, that they will be better than you think. Because that what it gets to is, what are your expectations? 
Oh, subjective thoughts here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe I think that they're going to be bad and they're actually kind of fun. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, man. I'm, I think that that makes a lot of sense for them to play Shattenkirk and Lindholm together. I see why they're doing it. Um, as much as, you know, I kind of want the Manholm Manson, uh, the Lindholm Manson shutdown pair. I understand what they're doing, but if they're committed to that, I don't know that they're going to get the type of year out of Manson and Fowler that they need uh-uh. unless they pull them apart, and find other players to play with that. You know, Josh Mahura, Cody Curran, uh, they can play that left side, maybe even Jacob Larson or right side. So maybe one of those guys goes with. Manson and maybe they put Manson or you know maybe they do like Manson Mahara and Larson Fowler and they kind of flared out those bottom four minutes I don't know I'm not I would definitely sell on that one I would say Kevin Shattenkirk leads the blue line in scoring yeah I think I mean, that's a foregone conclusion here for this season barring injuries yeah I think that that kind of needs to be the case or there's a problem John Gibson will reassert himself in the top five status amongst goaltenders. Absolutely. Love it. I, I think so, too. He's so, Absolutely. He's so, we need him to. Yeah. Well, that's the other part. They they need him to. But I think he absolutely is that guy. Now, here's your favorite, probably, the bunch. The power play will be in the middle of the pack. Oh. <laughs> and that would be a dream come true. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, if, if they get to 20, that'd be huge. I expect them to probably be in the low twenties, maybe, um, unless Shadkirk really makes it pop, you know, but other than that, or, you know, maybe Zegris comes up and he really brings in a little bit of that, uh, that creativity that it needs. I don't think right now with what we've seen there's a lot of reasons to think the power play is going to be much better than bottom seven yeah that was my but thing too i think we're going to be high 20s yeah you know maybe you can talk yourself into shattenkirk is still getting acclimated um but i just i do think there is reason to be very uh suspicious about their ability to really have the 17 to 12 area uh, power play. Do you think Trevor Zegers makes his NHL debut within a month of the season? So mid-February here? Yeah, I do. Do you think he stays? I, I Yeah, I mean, I had him playing 40 games. Woo! Burn a year off the contract in this bogus year. It'd be really interesting I mean, if Adam did that. I don't even care. He's so... He's... Let me say this. He's so exciting. You know, I want to be very careful with maybe how I say things so it doesn't seem like we're putting too much pressure on a 19-year-old kid to come in and be Jesus Christ the Savior. But, you know, I think he's got a lot of things to his game that you can definitely go, yeah, this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's something that I think if he comes up, I do think he sticks around. Sam Steele will become an impact third-line center. <laughs> Fucking looks like it, eh? Mm-hmm. Dude, he looks good for these first three games. Like, you know, he was a little less... Uh... Just for everyone to know, Steven was just very positive about the Ducks right now. Yeah. Man about a young player. Fake news. <laughs> but no, I, you know, he looks good, man. It's nice. You know, he definitely looked like a... Uh, you know, like he really does seem to understand the NHL level again. You know, I think that's kind of the difference between him and Lundestrom right now is Sam Steele is absolutely acclimated to the NHL speed. Uh-huh. Lundestrom doesn't. You know, I think Sam Steele is likely a better player than Lundestrom, but I think on a scale, they're relatively similar style of players. Um, so, yeah. I mean, would I, you be, would you be disappointed if he was a 25 and, and, and 30 point, like 25 goal, 30 is this guy? Like, how upset would you be if he settles into a 50-point player? If he's a 50-point player, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. You know, I think I said on the last one when it was just me and Pat, maybe the one before that. I don't know. The chat will know better than me. But I think I said 
I could see him going for 45 points in 56 games. Just because I think the tool set is there. The question is, is, is the rest of the team around him going to put him in a position to be successful? Right. He's not, he's, he's got to be asked to play third line minutes against real competition at the level, not, not be a guy centering the second line or, or first line and expect to put up those kinds of points. He just doesn't have that ceiling to compete at that level. Yeah. So number eight, Danton Heinen will be the team's biggest surprise this season. Yeah. I think that's fair. I definitely picked him for my flying under the radar guy because I just, you know, Milano had like two goals in his first game or something like that when he came over. And beyond that, I think everybody was focusing on the young kids. I think, you know, Danton Heinen shows, has shown a level of versatility and a um, versatility of, of style that I think there's a very good chance that he could really be a big part of this team this year being competitive i mean he's only 25 so it's not like he's this old guy you know he looks good on the ice like he looked good i think he looked pretty good tonight honestly he's a responsible player on both sides of the clock which the ducks like about him for sure absolutely um but you know like he was on the other end of that one timer from getsy the other night he just ripped it it didn't Mm -hmm. go but he ripped it you know there's definitely uh reasons to be excited about what heinen can bring to the table. The Ducks will have three forwards on a 20-goal pace. That is a tough one. Time out. Oh. I got I to my... I don't, I'm not smart, so I'm going to do 20 divided by 82 equals times 56 equals... Here's a sad thing. That's three 14-goal scores. That's a 20-goal pace. Let me make sure that I did that right. 20 divided by 82. This is riveting podcasting right now. Yeah, this is this is, what, we, this is what everyone pays for. 166. Yeah, 13.65. That's three guys just need to hit 14 goals. And it's a bold prediction that that might happen. <laughs> but do you think we're going to have 20 goals, like three 20-goal guys in 56 games? Yeah, screw it. You know what? I'll yeah, say, why not? say Raquel, Milano, and Steele. I will say those are our three guys. They're definitely the, the, the shiniest of the group, really. I haven't been high on Troy Terry since he's come onto this team. He's had moments, but a lot of people love that guy. And I just, I think the Ducks are putting him in a position where I just don't, you know, obviously they're smarter than I am, but he, I don't think he's going to no fulfill the role. True. <laughs> very true. Uh, and then the final one is the Ducks will not make the playoffs. I voted against that. I said they would. Oh, I don't. You don't think we even slide into that fourth spot? I mean, I know we already had our prediction podcast, but no. I just, I just don't think that they're going to have the depth of scoring to win enough games to do that. So, you know, even with three guys who score 14 goals, you know, that's 42 goals. That's it's not even a goal a game just on those three guys. Like, I just don't know that that's realistic unless they either make a trade um, or Gibson really just decides to win the Hart Trophy this year. <laughs> so you're putting it on John Gibson. That's essentially what you're saying at this point. But yeah, but- it's been that way for this year. Everybody knew it was going to be that year. It's The Ducks were going to go as far as John Gibson was going to be able to force them to go. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to grab his team by the scruff of his neck and just say, we're going. It's the only way. I just if, don't know. I mean, it really is. If you don't have a team that can score a lot of goals, then your goaltender has to be the best player on your team all year and has to be exceptional at it. Um, so we have a couple of questions we got on Twitter. We only got two, actually. But uh, Dave had mentioned, and we, I think we or I mentioned Dave's already earlier. Um, let me get back over to that. He said, this is riveting too. I had him up and then I lost him. Typical <laughs> me. I had to find him. He asked, in your opinion, is it lack of offense ability, A, or is it uh, poor offensive schemes and coaching, or C, a little of both? We already said probably mostly talent levels, not what we're yeah, excited I, about this sort of forward group. 30 talent level. 
And then the other question from Ben, uh, he says, has Jacob Larson actually gotten better or is he still our whipping boy? Oh, both things can absolutely be true. <laughs> Poor Jacob Larson. I mean, he didn't look bad tonight. Yeah, no, he didn't. But he it had... wasn't Vegas. Yeah, that's, you know, I I would say that he played well enough tonight to make me think he had a bad game against a great team, right, in the Vegas games. Him and Hawkenpod did not look great in that first game. They didn't look much better in the second game. But tonight he was all right, and he did have the pass to come to on the last game. So, like, there's certainly something that, like, there is enough there in potential, I think, that the Ducks have been this committed to him for so long. Maybe what we're starting to see is little flashes of the types of plays that he can make, you know, like a great stretch pass or joining the rush and making a nice little dish across the ice. Like, maybe that's kind of what he can do on a limited basis. But if he can provide that little bit of, you know, creativity and skating to a bottom pair, that's great. That's great. Because I think at this point, we're all expecting him to not be on the team in five years, unless we're all very miserable. You well, know? I think, but you have to have that third pair guy. So why not have the better end of those third pair guys? It's not like, it's not like we're talking about guys who aren't NHLers. He's definitely an NHLer. But you need that guy. that yet? Really? I'm not convinced of player. I still think he gets pushed even around. In that, even in that third pair? So let me say this. For me, I always look at a third pair as being, I just need you to be able to play the penalty kill and to play 10 minutes, 12 minutes of even strength. You know what I mean? Because I think what you're looking at is play about 15, 16 minutes a night. I don't know that he's going to, he's solid enough in front of his own net yet. I don't know that two good passes in three games is enough to make me think. You know, he's Bobby Orr. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, if he Christian Juice, fine. You know, I'll take that. Mm -hmm. That's I. I am not going to be a hypocrite and not say that I love Christian Juice's game and then just say because it's Jacob Larson, that's not good enough. Totally fine. If he turns out to be Cam Fowler, that's also kind of fine because they're never going to pay him that much money. So you know, if he's an actually properly paid Cam Fowler, I'm fine with that. What's your what's your thoughts on Cam Fowler then? Do you think he really is a top four defender in the I, NHL? I no. I. You think he's a five? I think like he's just a, outside. I will say I think he is a low end four. He can skate. That's obviously his best skill. Mm-hmm. Would you he, not say? No, it's my thing about Cam Fowler and the way that I am incredibly mean and reductive about him is if he couldn't skate, he wouldn't be an NHL player. Because what does everybody say that he's good at? He's good at exits and entries, which means he's good at skating with the puck. And he is, like, but I have been watching this team fucking my entire life. I have watched his entire career. The number of times that I have seen Cam Fowler make a wonderful, you know, uh, run into the offensive zone, and then all of a sudden he gets to the faceoff dots and realizes there's nobody around, and he just kind of dumps it is just, it's, it's stupid. He doesn't necessarily try to get it on net. He doesn't wrap around with it behind and see if maybe he can get a late trailer or something like that. Like he, I just think there are limitations to what he does on the ice. You know, tonight I really thought, you know, he let himself get pushed around a couple of times. You know, he's not a, he's not a small guy. He's like 6'2", 210, 215. Like, he's got some meat on his bones. Like, if he wanted to be more physical, he could be. But he's not. So. You'd only like him if his skating translated into goals. Then you'd be like, okay, now it makes sense. Even, you know what? It doesn't even have to. Because he's a better skater than Lindholm. But Lindholm functionally uses his skating much more effectively to squeeze guys off at the boards, to deny guys from, you know, really breaking into the zone. And so I would be fine if he was an incredible skater who was incredible on defense because of his skating. Well, thank God they gave Lindholm the gigantic contract and not Cam Fowler, right? Oh, look. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a topic for another show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the Ducks come away with their 1-0 victory tonight against the Minnesota Wild. They play them again on Wednesday. Most likely, the only adjustment we see here is uh, Ben Hutton coming in for Manson, right? I don't I don't foresee anything else. I think Milano's going to stay in the lineup with how he played. Um, I think that's the, the way the roster we saw tonight besides, besides Manson, unfortunately. Uh, basically, uh, we'll see where he's at, but for sure, I think we're going to see Ben Hutton on Wednesday. Yeah, and I would say we there's a good chance we might see Cody Curran, too. I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe take Hawk and Pot out of the lineup. Hmm. Um, and played maybe Cody Curran on that second pair with Josh Mans uh with uh, Cam Fowler and maybe Since nobody can play them they're going to try to find somebody. Yeah, screw it, might as well. <laughs> you do like a a Larson uh Hutton kind of bottom pair. I, you know, I think that's that's an interesting idea. Well, like I, well, this... I think they play the right-hand side off, you know, off of his strong side, so I don't I don't think that's a bad idea. We'll see what uh, what Dallas Aikens and Bob Murray does for that game on Wednesday. That's it for us here tonight. We'll be back on Wednesday night after the game. I think it's another 6 p.m. start if I have that in my head correctly. They're playing these games early. Let me double check yeah. that. Right. I think it's going to be that. I think it's. I thought it was with you seven o'clock because it's the Ducks home games, but no, it's another. It's a 6:30 start on mm-hmm. Wednesday, and then a seven o'clock start Friday against the Colorado Avalanche. But uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you guys on what? For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com/safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.